Amen. You can be seated. And uh, just want to extend uh, a welcome, as Jason has already done. Um, but uh, it's great to be with you and that you're with us today. We're going to be drawing later. I know you're excited about that. Uh, our kiddos are in here with us today. So, uh, kids, I'm glad you're in here with us. And uh, this is not punishment for you. Um, we love the idea of kiddos worshiping with their parents, um, and so we try to incorporate them at least once a month, or um, sometimes more than that, sometimes less than that, um, but it's good for kids to worship with their, with their parents, to see their parents um, submitting under the authority of God's Word, to see them singing with hearts full of gratitude, all of those things are very good. So kiddos, when you came in, you got a little packet, and you can... Draw and color as you like. I encourage you to listen some to the um, sermon being preached and the word of God being read and uh, that maybe God would speak to you. I've shared this a few times. I remember as a little bitty kid, so it's kind of, uh, when Stephen comes, I'm kind of excited. I feel like I'm kind of planting through Stephen. Um, you know, my dad planted a church in New Orleans um, and it wasn't his first church to plant, but it was the one that I remember uh, first. And... Um, he had a little track he passed out, said, uh, how, do, how do you get to heaven from New Orleans? Uh, which was like real clever back in the day, right? And uh, anyway, it's cool to see. I remember just as a young little kiddo, just God speaking to me. And as a five or six-year-old, um, very clearly I can remember, you know, 30-something years later, God speaking to me as a young, as a young kid. So uh, kids, listen for the voice of God and see what he has to say to you and follow that um, with all that you have. Uh, just a quick update on our mission offering. Um, we hit our goal, so that's super excited. Thank you guys for giving so generously and faithfully. Um, it's been amazing what God has done through that, and I promise you, um, before you and before God, that we're going to do our very best to steward that money very well. And since we've already uh, written checks to many of our mission partners, still got a few left to write. Um, and praying that God would just do some incredible things through uh, your generosity and that he would extend that so that the very ends of the earth may be reached um, as we sow seeds into that. If uh, you were gone over the holidays and you still want to gift toward the mission offering, you certainly can still do that and we'll pass those funds along. Um, we're going to be in John 15 today starting a series called This Invitational Life. And uh, we always kind of like to start the new year with just at least a couple weeks, and I'm not sure how far this is going to go, but at least a couple weeks of us thinking about kind of the direction that we're headed as a faith family. And we're going to look at some of these pictures of Jesus, some of these parables that he told, uh, some of the teaching that he had um, about inviting people into this great mission of God. Uh, I love Christmas and Thanksgiving uh, and basically uh, any holiday that involves great food. So... Uh, and it's funny how that's just kind of how I, how, how I celebrate. Uh, and for this reason, uh, for some reason, the New Year, though, is my favorite. Uh, not New Year's Eve. I rarely, I rarely make it to midnight. Uh, it's just kind of this week, the first week of the new year. So I got a new moleskin, and I opened it up, and I started writing out my goals for the year. And I love to think about how I can do better, and I'm a resolution guy, and I try to write those things down, and the number of books I'm going to read, and the number of uh, pounds I'm not going to lose, and uh, I'm trying this year. Um, 
And a lot of us make resolutions, right? We make resolutions because we're sinners, right? We mess up and we make mistakes and we give into laziness and we give into our impulses and we make poor decisions and we might make a lifetime or at least a year long's worth of uh, poor decisions. And the new year is kind of the death of 2018 and like this brand new start for 2019. And we have this anticipation of maybe we can do this better this year. And that's true on some level. Most of us can't afford to better things in our lives, be more disciplined in this area or that area. But I want to focus on a deeper level than just being kinder or losing weight or spending more time golfing. Um, And I want to look at kind of the foundation of what God can do in and uh, through us. This great invitation that God has granted to us, that he's invited us close to him. I was watching a a talk show several uh, years ago, and there was this actor on there uh, who was on vacation with his family, and I don't remember his name, and uh, this is going to date you. This might have been decades ago, I don't remember, but it's in my mind. Everything's like the other day for me. Um, And I'm watching this actor, and he's on vacation with his family, and uh, they're, they're living it up, doing family vacation stuff, and he gets a call from the White House, and the president, who I don't remember who it was at the time, has invited him to come and play golf with him. And so he's in like uh, Costa Rica or something. And, you know, the president, of course, is uh, at, the, at the White House. And he's so honored, but he's on vacation with his family. Well, his family insists, man, you've got to leave. You've got to charter a jet. You got, I mean, you know, you don't get an invitation like this to go play golf with the president. And so he's just talking about how, you know, his family insisted he goes. He left. He played golf with the president. And what just a cool honor that was. And it wasn't just the president. It was some other sports stars, et cetera. So that was just this incredible thing, and I started thinking about just, you know, what would it be like to be invited, you know, to that kind of thing, that you're willing to leave everything you're doing, even if it's family vacation, to have this personal invite from someone of such importance that you're going to go and spend the day playing golf. And I think uh, reality TV kind of plays on this kind of niche where you get to kind of see the lives of uh, celebrities behind the scene and in their house and these conversations because we all, all want to be invited inside. But magnified exponentially is this incredible invitation to know God. Can you imagine the God of the universe that opened his mouth and spoke out the sun and the planets? Maybe you've been doing our Bible reading plan with us as you See God at work in creation and creating man and woman and all of these incredible things. That God, that supernatural God has invited us to come close to him. And not that it was like a a chore for him as if, you know what, I got to do this. Like an older sister is forced to hang out with her younger sister or whatever it is, right? This is God inviting us in and it says that it was a it's a joy he he gets pleasure out of us coming to him we see in the very beginning that God created Adam and Eve and he walked with them Genesis 5 tells us that Enoch walked with God Genesis 6 said Noah walked with God Genesis 24 tells us about how Abraham walked with God these pillars of the faith spending time Knowing God, this invitation in. And now as sin entered the world, this became increasingly more difficult. Our 
understanding of God became cloudy and our experience of him became limited. If you want to kind of capture more of what this feels like, I encourage you to read the Jesus Storybook Bible. I know it's like a kid's thing. A lot of my theology has been shaped by the Jesus Storybook Bible. It is phenomenal. It is a great picture of Christ through the Old Testament, sin entering in the world, uh, the promise seed to come, the whole thing. We're going to go through it again, right, during the Lent season. We're going to kind of, as we did in the Advent season, but sin enters the world and our understanding of God becomes cloudy and our experience of him becomes very limited. We don't know him as Adam and Eve knew him before sin. The people of the Old Testament will rely on priests and sacrificial systems to appease the wrath of God against their sin. And they relied on prophets to hear from God and speak to the people. And this is how they lived for thousands of years until the Christmas story, right, that we just celebrated. God himself shows up. Jesus, his son, born to be God with us. And this is incredible news that, that God would come to live with us. He could have come and still live distant like a monk and didn't have much interaction with us people and still died for our sins and offered us salvation. But that's not how he came. He came to be with us. John 1.14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. He came into humanity and he did life with people and he walked the roads that people walked and struggled with some of the same struggles that we struggle with and are tempted by some of the same things that we're tempted by. Again, that wasn't necessarily required. Sure, he had to come and die to save us, but he didn't have to do life with us. Think about this. The great God of the universe who created all things. Tim Keller says it this way, that God willingly put himself in the form of of withness. Most of the times in the Old Testament, as we see God had come near in the past, he came in ways that scared people to death. His glory or his weightiness would literally scare people. He appeared to Job, he came as a tornado. When we get the warnings, right, breaking up our favorite TV shows that a tornado's coming, some of us who are safe go gather in the inner room of a house because of the power of a tornado. When God appeared to Abraham, he came as a smoking furnace moving through the air. There was this incredible heat. He appeared to Moses, he was a pillar of fire. Every time before Jesus came, every time before Jesus that God had shown up, his presence instilled fear. Moses wanted to see more of God. And what, remember what God told him? You can't even handle it, Moses. I'll let you look and see where I once was after I move by. But Jesus didn't come as any of those. Jesus came as a baby. There's nothing more approachable, right, than a baby. There's nothing more humble than a baby. When his first followers encountered him, Jesus, they asked him if he was the Messiah. And you remember what he told them? He invited them to come and see. He invited them to come and be with him, to come and do life with him, to come and follow him. He invited them in. And the point is that you can really know God in this way today. 
Because Jesus came near to us and invited us to come near to him, you can know God this way. Not from a distance, not just in the theological sense, not in someone as this, some, uh, you know, historical figure. You can really know God. And the success of 2019 and what you get out of 2019 is not as much going to be based on the circumstances you walk through, the, the, the defeats or the victories of the, of the year itself. It's going to be based upon your heart's inclination to really know God, to really press into him. This is what our text today, and we're not going to get through the whole text today, but part of it. This is Jesus' invitation to his disciples. I want you to read this with me in John 15, starting in verse 4. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you're the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown like a branch and thrown away like a branch and withers, and then branches are gathered and thrown into a fire and burned. But if you abide in me and my words, you might underline that phrase, my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Eleven times in seven verses, Jesus invites us to abide with him, to spend time with him, to remain with him, to get close to him. And the result of those is that we would bear much fruit, that the Father would be glorified, that the Father, God the Father would be pleased at our abiding, which produces fruit. And so I think the point is, and this is the point I'm trying to make, is more than resolutions this year of trying harder, this passage shows us that real supernatural change is possible in us. Think about the worst vices that you have, the worst sins that seem to plague you. Think about the person you were before even coming to Christ. And God, as he enters in, as he invites us in, begins to do this incredible work in us that literally changes us from the inside out. The selfish can be made selfless. The greedy can be made generous. The arrogant can become humble. The bitter can be made forgiving. The lustful can become pure in heart. The angry can become meek. The anxious can become peaceful. The insecure can become confident. And on and on we could go of what the, the work of God inside of us does. We can see real change in our lives. Real supernatural change. But... The passage warns that we cannot do this on our own. We, as a matter of fact, we can't do it at all without him. It tells us that our need is not partial. Our need is total. God is not like the personal trainer that's going to come alongside and help us achieve what we want to achieve. No, he is like the potter and we the clay that we set our lives before him and he in the way that only the potter, the master, the master creator knows, begins to mold us into the image that he actually created us to be. Try all you want to discipline yourself, all you want, and it will be somewhat profitable. But unless you address this root in your life, change will only be temporary. 
But if you change the root system, right, incredible things are possible. This is the invitation from Jesus to us. And it's unbelievable to abide with him, to walk with him. Your translation might uh, translate that word abide as remain or dwell or live with. As if God is a, uh, it's a personal God. Like he wants this personal relationship with us. Not that we would just believe the right things as in doctrine. And that's incredibly important. But that we would commune with him. A.W. Tozer warns, the whole transaction of religious conversion has been made mechanical and spiritless. Think about it like uh, going to an ATM, punching out the right code, and out comes the cash. We have almost forgotten that God is a person, and as such, can be cultivated as any person can. The casualties of this mechanized religion are many. It's one thing to witness spiritually empty people outside of the church. What concerns me, he says, is meeting more and more Christians inside the church who suffer this same spiritual emptiness. Church, you have been invited to walk with God, to know him. Those of you in here who are believers, that you have the Holy Spirit, like like one of the Trinity, living within you, leading you to all truth, John tells us. Convicting of sin, giving wisdom, leading in the right direction on an ongoing basis. I think this passage includes kind of three ideas. And the first is the process that we are being conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. As we walk with him, we're being conformed into his image. We know who God is through seeing who Jesus is. Hebrews 1 tells us that, that Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. We know who Jesus is by seeing him in the word illuminated by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, like this supernatural sandpaper, begins to work in our lives and begins to conform us to the image of Jesus himself. That's why he invites us to come in. That's why he invites us to abide. That's why he invites us to remain with him. Verse 5 reads, whoever abides in me and I in him, it's he that bears much fruit. And then there's a subtle change in verse 7. Jesus changes the wording a bit and says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Part of abiding with Christ is knowing him through the word. Reading the word and memorizing the word and meditating on the word and musing its truth. Allowing the word of God to read you. There's something supernatural going on. It's not just chicken soup for the soul kind of stuff, right? This is, this is the word of God. Hebrews 4 says it this way. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and spirit. Of joints and marrow. Discerning thoughts and intentions of the heart. Do you know where the soul ends and the spirit begins? Most of us would have a hard time explaining it. Oh, the the Holy Spirit does, and he works through the word. Would you know where the thoughts in your mind and the intentions of your heart intersect? Most of us do not, but the Holy Spirit does. And through the power of the word, he begins to work in a supernatural way. 2 Timothy 3, again, 
passage you're probably familiar with says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It's amazing how all of those adjectives used for the word of God there in verse 16 are things that I don't necessarily love to do. I don't necessarily love to be taught. I certainly don't love reproof or correction. And you can tell by my appearance, training is not my thing. Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There's the process, and then there's the result. What is the result when we imbibe with him, when his words abide in us? Well, it's fruitfulness. Maybe I should say it's pruning that leads to fruitfulness. Again, in verse 5, if you abide in me and I in him, you will bear much fruit. Verse 8, by this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Again, if we had time to really look even deeper into this text, we could talk about the whole idea of pruning and how the vine dresser, God the Father, uses the word of God, uses people in your life, uses circumstances to literally prune branches that you have that are bearing fruit already. And as I've walked with God, what I found is normally the branches that he prunes are the fruit that I love the most. The fruit that I'm proud of, those are the ones that get pruned so that I cannot take any boast in it. So that, not just for discipline's sake or not just to rain on your parade, but for the purpose that you would bear much fruit and ultimately the Father would be most glorified. We don't just read the word to read it, as if something magical happens when we're near it, as if it's some kind of incantation. No, we read it to know God. To worship the Bible itself would be an idol, would be bibliolatry. It would be our worship of the Bible. It's not the Bible itself that we worship. It's the Bible that points us to the God. The God of the Bible is who we worship, and it's what we read the word to know him more. The Bible is the word of God, and it's crucial to knowing him, but it's not God. We study our Bibles, we can study our Bibles until the second coming and leave God completely out of it. We can grow in facts and knowledge, yet never grow an inch in our faith and our relationship with God. Use the word of God and prayer and obedience to what the word says with a humble attitude and at times silence and allow him to grow our faith and grow our knowledge of him and loving of him. And this is what produces a real heart change. The process being conformed to the image, the result that we're looking toward, right, is fruitfulness. By the way, we don't, we don't come near to God so that we get the fruit. We come near to God so that we can know God and the product of that is the fruit. But third, major idea we see in here is the posture that we have to take. Notice that we aren't the vine. We aren't even the vine dresser. We aren't even the fruit or the branch. To see real transformation in our lives, we have to constantly, this is the posture, submit our wills to him, to surrender our life to him. This is an illustration I don't draw very often, but it's a new year for me, right? 
What's funny is Jason, this is Jason's personal whiteboard. That dude loves to draw. Yeah, so I texted him this morning, hey man, bring your whiteboard. I think he already had it with him, just in case. So what we see in our lives is this above the line is where we want to live, right? That's where we have uh, peace, humility, gentleness, just the fruits of the Spirit. The Galatians talks about. Above the line. Below the line are the works of the flesh, right? This is what we talked about even a minute ago, that we're, we're lustful, and we're angry, and we're short with other people. We're anxious. We spend our life worrying. And we all want to be up here, right? We all want to be above the line in the fruits of the Spirit, and none of us want this. As a matter of fact, when this is in our life, we're, we're frustrated with our own selves because this is how we become. I believe most Christians kind of live their life right here, just a hair above the line. And we don't really experience the fullness of what God wants to do. We don't experience the fullness of the person who God has designed and created us to be. Oh, I forgot to tell you the line here. This is surrender. To live a spirit-filled life is to render, surrender our will to him. Surrender to what drives us to the word. Surrender is what drives us to the word. Surrender is what requires us to read the word. Surrender is what is essential as we apply the word. As, if you haven't noticed, as we're reading through the Bible in, in, in two years... A lot of you wanted short goals. A few of us said, couldn't we have like a 30-day goal? Like, let's, and I said, yeah, just follow it for 30 days. And then add another 30 days, right? We can get through this thing. But as you read the Word and it reads you, you're going to find that there are things in Scripture, even God Himself is offensive. And if you don't find God offensive as times as you read Scripture, you're not actually even worshiping God. You've made God an image of you. And that's why He agrees with everything that you think. But God is not like that. As we read, we find things that are different than maybe our beliefs that seem harsh to us. And surrender is us conforming our lives to who Jesus is as we read the word and as the Holy Spirit illuminates truth to us. And this is all possible, right? Because of this great invitation that Jesus gave us in. That he knew in just a few short weeks that he would go to the Garden of Gethsemane. And he would do this very thing of surrender, saying, God, not my will, but yours. And he would be falsely accused and crucified, not for his own sin, but for ours. And because Jesus took away the final penalty of sin, it's what we just sang about, right? Oh, death, where is your sting? It's not that the sting of death is not real. That, that, that's literally translated uh, the venom. Death, where is your Where is your venom? 
Because of Christ's payment for our sin, he took out the eternal penalty of death itself. He took away the filth that separated us from the Father, and he offered us forgiveness to any who will turn to him in faith and repent of their sins. This is the good news of the gospel. This is the basis of the invitation in. I want to invite you to make 2019 a year of the word for you. That you would take the word of God and you would place it as in the ultimate authority in your own life. Not as in, yes, I believe those ideas, but that you would, that you would experience God through his word. That you would open the pages, that you would commit to memorizing it. We started a, a kids class today with them helping them memorize the word of God. But my family, we've taken on this challenge that we want to memorize the Sermon on the Mount this year. And that's going to take a lot of work on me and, um, and Ashley because my kids are going to remind me that that's what I, my, we set out some 40 verses that we're going to try to accomplish this year. That we would memorize the word, that we would place such importance on it. Think about all the things that we place great importance on. Balancing the checkbook, watching the stocks, making sure our kids are well-trained for life, making sure they look the part and act the part, making sure they study all the things. Some of you have your kids enrolled in, 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 in extracurricular things. You got them on a soccer or basketball or sports team, and you're traveling with them and gymnastics and all these things, and we give all this inordinate time to these things. And I'm not saying those things are bad, but if those things supersede Right? Your love and investment and in the very word of God. I think you're going to get again to this, the end of this year with your hands kind of thrown up saying, man, what am I doing with my life? This invitation that God offers you is an invitation in to know him. And one of the main tools that we use for that is his word. So I'm going to close by giving you just some framework, just some encouragement as you read the word this year as you walk through it as you begin to apply it first is this begin your time with prayer and confession confess your sins to the Lord ask him to cleanse your heart of the things that you've done and left undone and open your eyes to behold the wonderful things in God's word Psalms 119 start, talks about you want a heart that's open and responsive to God and confession and prayer postures us in such a way one of the tools that I like to use is a website. It's also an app called examine.me. It kind of walks you through this process, and it's all digital. If you're like a, if you're like a you know, paper Bible guy, this might be, might be difficult for you, but you can kind of use the both. But it starts asking us and preparing your heart to actually read his word. Second, I would encourage you to read aloud. Maybe it's just me, but if I don't, I get really distracted. I love to use the ESV app that it reads the words for me, so I'll read it myself and then have it read. Whatever works for you. Some of my friends are so ADD, they literally have to write it out or they will not, they will not be able to read it. You say, man, that seems like a lot of work. Hey, listen, do whatever you have to to get into God's word. It's the greatest thing that you could give your life to. Second is look for gospel, third, look for gospel patterns. Look for, look for God's grace on display as you read, especially in the Old Testament. Every story has Christ as the ultimate hero. For example, don't read the story of David and Goliath 
and leave your devotional time saying, you know what, I'm ready to face my giants. Realize that we are Israel in that story. We're not David. We're weak and powerless, cowering before our enemies of sin, Satan, and death. And that we need an anointed king to defeat our enemies and cause us to rise up in hope and courage. Jesus is the true and better David. He's the point of the story of David and Goliath. Look for these patterns as you read, especially in the Old Testament, as we'll see these, these patterns of these gospel patterns of grace on display. Look for everything and rejoice in what God has accomplished for us through Jesus. Next, journal your thoughts and prayers. You can write as much or as little as you want. I encourage you to do this. I was reading through my uh, little moleskin I carry around with me, and I kind of, I'm not real diligent at doing this, but at least once a week I'll just jot some things down that I'm praying for or what God's showing me. It's amazing to see some of the things that God has done in my life over even this past year. Journaling helps us process where we're headed and what we're reading. Again, these are just tools in which we abide in the vine. Next, realize that this is a community project. You need to share what God is saying to you and have others share what God is saying to them. There is nothing more encouraging. Over the holidays, I probably had coffee with maybe 10 different people. And I love to ask them this question. Hey man, what's one of the things God has shown you recently? And my heart was just so encouraged by how everyone else was walking with God and God was doing these unique and cool things in their life and stretching their faith and being enough because he is that or leading them a pass or bringing people into their lives. Get into the habit of doing that, finding people that you can really do life with and you can share what God is doing in you. This is easier to do than ever. Start a, start a text thread. Start a, a group me thing. Do something where you can kind of share what God is doing in through your life. What he's showing you. And then finally, don't give up. Listen, I've missed a few meals in the past. But I never gave up on eating. I never said, man, I missed breakfast. I'm done for the year. <laughs> I just made sure I didn't miss the next meal. And usually made up for it. Listen, there are going to be days that you miss, sometimes multiple days, prayerfully not, but sometimes seasons. Repent of your neglect, of your arrogance of thinking that you didn't need to go to God, and press on in knowing him. That's the point. As the good father in the Luke 15, the prodigal son story, the father's waiting for you to come back. He's looking eagerly, thinking, man, maybe my son, maybe my daughter... It's going to come back today. Your righteousness is not found in how consistent your devotional life is. It's in Jesus, who is constant and ever faithful. So relax and pick up where you left off. I'll end as I started. The beauty of 2019 will not depend on your circumstances, but on your experience of the one you were made for. As much of him as you want to experience, you'll experience this year. He promises, Hebrews 11 tells us, to reward those that diligently seek him. We like to end most of our services with communion. Just in that very name, there's this idea of relationship, of invitation. The only reason that communion is even offered to us is because of the work of Jesus. And it's 
to remind us that we don't have access to God on our own through our own work or merit, but because of what Jesus did for us. And Jesus himself instituted this as he gathered with his disciples right before he would go to the garden. And he would take the cup and he would take the bread and he would tell his disciples to continue to do this often, remembering him. And so I want to invite you to do this. I just, I want you to spend some time just where you're at, listening to the Spirit as he leads. Maybe there's some conviction of sin that's going on that you need to repent of now. Maybe it's a renewed, resilient allegiance to knowing God through his word this year. I encourage you as you leave here to talk to a spouse or a family and set some goals. It's funny, this, we set this thing the new year. My oldest daughter has been the one that has reminded the whole family that what we needed to read every day. We were out of town this weekend, and uh, she come in the hotel room one morning, like, we're barely up. and said, hey, we can't do anything before we get in the Word today. And I was like, note taken. Uh, maybe there needs to be just this surrender again in our life. That we live last year here. It's time to surrender our wills to Him. I'm going to pray for us in that end. You don't have to be a member of our church to participate taken communion today, but you do have to be a member of God's family. And if that's you, I invite you to come participate when you're ready. God, I pray for myself, I pray for us, your people, or this is your church. I admittedly am not the senior pastor, just one of the under shepherds as you are the chief shepherd. Lord, you know what's in our hearts. You know where the sin resides. You know what you're doing in us. You know our plan that's even greater and bigger than we could even think or imagine, your word tells us. We could even think up a big enough plan. You've wired us, equipped us, created us, and redeemed us so that we could accomplish what you've put before us. And I pray that we don't go kicking and screaming against what you're trying to do, but we would willfully and in humility surrender our right to our life, our little dreams, that we would be part of your great big plan of redemption over all of history. And God, we realize even in this moment that you've planted us in pockets of darkness so that we could be the light. That we could be your people, that we could be ministers of reconciliation, that we could point people to you and your salvation. I pray that our lives scream that message of the good news. I pray this year that we would have opportunity for our voices to declare that message of good news. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.